Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Adam. So glad that you have joined us. We are continuing on in our series called Asking for a Friend. There might be some questions that are on your mind that you wouldn't just outright ask somebody. And these are some pretty important topics that we are covering. Last week, we answered the question, can I still follow God and have doubts? And the question for this morning is, does God have an answer for my addiction? Does God have an answer for my addiction? Now, you might be hearing that question and thinking, this really is a question from a friend because I don't struggle with addiction. Normally, the conversation of addiction is limited to talking about substance abuse, but I'm willing to bet that if we really dig down deep, we would see that there are maybe some substances or behaviors in all of our lives that have a little bit of a hold on our hearts. Addiction can be defined as a physical or psychological dependence on a substance or behavior despite harmful consequences. Now, how many of you, if you misplaced your cell phone, would be like, eh, that's okay, I can go without it for a day? Some of you, some of you like, that would be a relief. Others of you would be like, everything in this world needs to be on pause until I find my cell phone. Or can you imagine giving up video games or social media for a week? Now, I got to give my wife credit. She is taking a break from Instagram. She signed out of her account, and she let me sign in and put in a new password that only I know. So I hold the keys to her social media, and she has admitted to me that she'll pull out her phone sometimes and click on that Instagram app just out of, out of habit because it has that draw on her life, and she's admitted that she is going through withdrawals when it comes to Instagram. Or maybe on this topic, it could be uh, when you go through stressful situations, you turn to overeating or pornography has a hold on your life. And those are just a few examples. And as we work through this message and what God's word has to say, please don't just check out and think this isn't for me just because I don't struggle with substance abuse. But substance abuse is going to be the main focus of this morning's message. I feel like though as we get into this, I need to give a little bit of a disclaimer. Personally, I have not struggled with substance abuse. I don't know what it really feels like to go through that struggle. And I'll admit, I do not have all the answers. I don't want to pretend like I have all of the answers. But I believe that God really does have an answer. And this morning's message isn't just going to be five easy steps to sobriety. But I do think that that God offers hope and he offers healing. I, I think, too, that this is a topic that isn't always handled with grace and sensitivity in the church. And it can be so easy to just push people away because of their behavior or because you just don't even understand what their struggle is like. A lot of people, if not in every case, turn to drug abuse because of some kind of pain or suffering in their lives. Oftentimes, this is just a coping mechanism, whether it's the pain of rejection or feeling worthless. Maybe it's abuse or something else in their lives. This is a way to just numb the pain and to get temporary relief. And even if, put drugs aside, I mean, maybe there's something in your life that you turn to 
just to kind of numb the pain and get relief from whatever it is that you are feeling. And oftentimes we can turn to addictive behaviors because of a neurotransmitter in all of our brains called dopamine. Dopamine is what makes you feel good when it's triggered. You take a few bites of ice cream, boom, that is a hit of dopamine. You don't get that when you eat vegetables, right? Now, some of you, more than others, you know what it's like to get that, that dopamine rush after doing a workout, or you get that runner's high. And, and so these things can make you feel good. Now, drugs take that to a whole different level, and it gives you a high concentration of dopamine. And after a while of continued drug use, that one dose of that drug doesn't do what it did for you before, and so you have to keep increasing your dosage and as you keep doing that, you don't find as much enjoyment in other things in life. Your brain becomes so accustomed to those high dosages of dopamine that everything else kind of becomes numb and less enjoyable. And the way somebody explained it to me is that our brains are a little bit lazy. And so your brains will stop creating normal levels of dopamine because it's just depending on getting that level of dopamine from the drug. And all of that together, on top of um, going through withdrawals and, and even just like self-hatred, a lot of people who are struggling with drug abuse, they don't like the person that they've become. They don't like the situation that they are in. And so they just beat up on themselves over it. And this just propels things and makes it worse and worse. I think this is a cycle of somebody who turns to drugs or whatever that coping mechanism is. Maybe it's not drugs. Maybe it is uh, pornography. Maybe it's overeating. But it's the way to deal with this suffering. And unfortunately, this coping mechanism just leads to more suffering, going through the withdrawals, going through just dissatisfaction with everything else in life and just beating up yourself with uh, self-hatred. But I believe that there is a solution to this, and I believe that this conversation isn't just about turning away from drugs. This is about turning to Jesus. And if we want to help people who are struggling through this addiction, it's not just about punishing them for the coping mechanism and not dealing with the suffering in their lives. I don't think that we can be super helpful by minimizing the struggle and saying things like, you just need more willpower or just make better choices, then all of that will be easy. I think what people need when they are going through this is the love of Jesus, both from people who can come alongside of them and from Jesus himself. And by turning to Jesus, I think that there can be hope, healing, and lasting joy like nothing else. I don't think that you need to be a Christian in order to get sober, but the real healing comes through Jesus. And this healing, this is not just like flipping a switch. It, turning to Jesus doesn't make everything better all in an instant. I believe that it is a journey, but this journey is so worth it and this journey can lead to joy. And experiencing the joy of Jesus doesn't mean that you will never go through hard times again. It doesn't mean that, that everything in life will be easy. Because most likely, you will go through a time of suffering again. 
but you can continue to turn to Jesus, experience healing, and find joy in him. And so I believe that, that turning to Jesus is the most important thing in this conversation. If there was somebody in my life who was struggling with drug abuse and they did not know Jesus, the first thing that I would do is share with them how to experience a relationship with Jesus. In John 3, 16 and 17, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God doesn't just love some people in the world. There's not exceptions to God's love. He loves everyone, even those people who are struggling with addiction or drug abuse or anything like that. And God showed us the extent of his love when he sent Jesus into the world to live as a human and to die an awful death on the cross. And Jesus did all of that so that we could be saved and experience eternal life. And this salvation and eternal life is like a free gift that God just hands out to us. And we can receive that gift by simply believing that Jesus is the Son of God and believing that what Jesus did on the cross was enough to save us of our sins. And that is how we can experience a relationship with God. And I really think that if you are struggling with an addiction and you are not a Christian, you need Jesus. And if you are a Christian and you are struggling with an addiction, you need Jesus. It is the same for all of us. And I wanted to just talk about the gospel first and how to have a relationship with Jesus because that is the foundation for turning to Jesus to find healing and relief from whatever addiction you could be feeling. And even the Apostle Paul struggled with a sin problem that I think is very similar to addiction. If we could think about somebody's life who just kind of has it all put together, I would think of this guy named Paul. Paul was like the MVP missionary in the Bible. He even wrote most of the New Testament. If anybody would have it all together, I would say it's this guy named Paul. But Paul has some real struggles that he talks about in Romans chapter 7. If you would like to turn there in your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 7. I think that this is one of the most relatable passages in the Bible, but it's also a little bit confusing. So before we get into this passage, I'm just going to go ahead and explain it on the front end. So basically in chapter 7, Paul introduces a problem that all of us have. This problem is that we have sin living inside of us. Sin is any thought, motivation, or action that goes against God. And I believe that we are all born with this sin problem. Nobody has to teach a two-year-old how to have a temper tantrum to get what they want. And so all of this is inside of us. And the, the question then is, what is the solution to our sin problem? So Paul goes on to say what the solution is not. The solution to our sin problem is not just following more rules. In the Old Testament, 
God gave 613 commandments for the Israelites to live by. Included in that is the Ten Commandments that you might be a little bit more familiar with. But what we know is that all of these rules is insufficient for fixing our sin problem. I think that the Pharisees are an illustration of this. Back in the time of Jesus, there was this religious group of leaders called the Pharisees. And these guys took rule-keeping very seriously. They had rules on top of rules just to make sure that they would not break those 613 commandments. And even though their lives looked really good on the outside, Jesus said that they were pretty rotten on the inside. And so following more rules didn't fix their sin problem. So we could look at this and be like, all right, then why did God even give all of these commandments in the Old Testament? Is it just all for nothing, but there is a purpose for those commandments, and it's through the commandments of God that we know what sin is. We know what is wrong, but there's this thing in human nature that I think some of us experience more than others, and that is being told no makes us want to do it even more, right? You probably know what this is like when there's a kid and you say, don't climb on that, And then they just give you this look directly in the eyes, and they turn around and do exactly what you told them not to do. Well, you don't just grow out of this when you become an adult. You could look at the speed limit and be like, it's 35? I bet I could do 60 down this road, and you just put it to the test, right? I'm sure none of you have ever done that. But sometimes we can just get into a pattern of we know what's right, But we just do our own way instead. And after following our own way for a while, we get to this point where we feel like we just can't help it. Like we've put ourselves in a cage and it feels like we can't get out. And so this feeling of like we can't control ourselves is when we do the things that we don't want to do. We know what is sinful. We know what isn't right. But still we do that very thing. And sometimes it's the right thing that we know we ought to do. We don't do that either. And so that's what Paul is getting at in this passage. And as we start reading in verse 21, just pay attention to how desperate Paul sounds here. And maybe you can relate to the way that he's feeling. He says, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Paul hates the struggle that he's in. He does not like the person that he has become. So he's just I imagine him on his knees just kind of crying out like, what a wretched man I am. He doesn't have a very high opinion of himself at all. And maybe if you're struggling with an addiction or you know somebody who is struggling with an addiction or substance abuse, maybe they have a low opinion of themselves as well. And they're just in this desperate state of just wanting rescue but not knowing where to find that rescue. But there is good news to anyone who is in that state. And that is you are not as trapped as you feel. 
Let's go ahead and look at the next verse in verse 25. And Paul says, Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And so, if you are a Christian, if you have placed your faith in Jesus for salvation, Jesus is your rescue. Jesus was the rescue for Paul. How many of you have been at that point in life where you just know that you have blown it? You have sinned against God, and you feel like you don't deserve God's love. You feel like you can't even serve in church. Maybe you don't even want to walk into church and you just feel dirty. And you're like, how could God have anything to do with me? Now, I, I've felt that a little bit in my life. And it was actually these verses that were a huge encouragement to me. To know that if you have a relationship with God, if you have placed your faith in Jesus for salvation... You do not have to fear condemnation. Condemnation is a pretty big word, but it really just means judgment or pronouncing somebody guilty. And if you are a Christian, God isn't just trying to like heap guilt on your shoulders. He's not trying to punish you. It's not like you get to this breaking point where God is like, well, guess you can't go to heaven now. You've really messed up there. If you are a Christian, then all the judgment on your life, all the guilt that you deserve has been placed on Jesus. And even in your worst moments, God doesn't want to just push you away or, or to punish you. God wants to draw close to you and to help you see victory in your sin and in your struggles. You are not defined by your behavior. If you are struggling with addiction, you are not just an addict. You are not just an alcoholic. You are not a junkie. Those don't define who you are if you have a relationship with Jesus and your identity is in him. You are not defined by your darkest moment, but by Jesus's darkest moment. Let's go ahead and keep on reading in verse three here. It says, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Remember the question that I asked earlier, what is the solution to our sin problem? Our sin problem can't be ignored. God can't just sweep it under the rug and pretend like it's not an issue. And as we already learned, following more rules is not the solution to our sin problem. Jesus is the solution to our sin problem. And Jesus gave up his rightful place in heaven to come to earth and to live a perfect life. Jesus didn't sin even one time. Jesus was... a 100% innocent as he hung up there on the cross. Jesus didn't deserve even 1% of the, 
of that punishment that he experienced on the cross. And this is what gets me every time. God treated Jesus as if he was guilty of every sin in the world so that he could treat you as if you are innocent, if you have placed your faith in him. And if you have your faith in Jesus, God doesn't label you as just an addict or a sinner or anything like that. If your faith is in Jesus, God labels you as innocent, not because of who you are and what you have done, but because of what God has done. And the final point that I want to leave us with this morning is your addiction is not stronger than Jesus. If we skip ahead a few verses and go to verse 11, it says, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. The power of God is strong enough to raise the dead to life. Jesus is an example of that, of someone who was dead but then was raised to life. And if you are a Christian, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, you have the power of God inside of you. And whatever struggle you are up against, whether it's with an addiction or just a sin problem or something else, you are not in that fight alone. You don't just have to rely on your own strength because you have God fighting with you and you have him helping you to overcome that struggle or that addiction in your life. And to anyone who is struggling with an addiction, whether it's substance abuse or something else, my hope is that they would turn to Jesus. And I know that it can sound really cliche to just say, Jesus is the solution, as if it's just that simple. But I think it really is true. And if, if there are people, or maybe you yourself, are turning to these worldly coping mechanisms when you go through hard times in your life, whether it's social media, pornography, overeating, drugs, anything like that, it can give you temporary relief, but it can't give you the lasting hope and joy and peace that comes from Jesus. And he can give all of us significance, purpose, and love. You get connected in the church, you have community, and all of that is so much better than what the world can offer. And this isn't just wishful thinking. I think this is even supported by history. At the end of the Vietnam War, uh, 20% of soldiers admitted to using heroin overseas. And so as they came back to the U.S., our government was prepared for a heroin epidemic. But this blows my mind. 95% of those soldiers were clean of heroin after living back in the States. You could ask, how did they ever do that? I think it's because they came back home to people who love them, where they had a support system, they had meaning and belonging. And so they didn't need that other substance in their life to provide for them that sense of happiness and fulfillment because they found it elsewhere. And if you can't find that kind of fulfillment and joy in Jesus, I don't think you can find it anywhere else. And so for anyone who is struggling, for anyone who knows someone else who is struggling, 
my hope is that they would know the love of Jesus and that they would have people in their lives who can also show them the love of Jesus. As we wrap things up this morning, we are going to watch a testimony video of someone who struggled through an addiction. But if he was here this morning, I think he would want to tell you that he has been 30 years clean of addiction and that his life is so different than the story that you will hear in this video. I hope it's an encouragement to you. Please turn your eyes to the screen. I was born in Philadelphia to loving parents. My dad, around, around the age of five, decided to, to move out up into the country, so he bought a small 80-acre farm outside of Springville. And the following year, my parents uh, sent my brother and I back down to Philadelphia to stay with friends. Somehow I was selected to share a bedroom with the older teenage boy. And it was during that period of time that I was sexually abused. And when I returned home after that week, uh, I was really confused, angry. There was shame, guilt. I had no idea how to share what had taken place. But the anger um, just continued to really grow inside of me. I was angry at my parents because, you know, they were supposed to watch over me and protect me. I became a very difficult child who was hard to control. My parents drank, so I, I figured at a very young age I could sneak uh, liquor and beer from, from my parents without them even knowing it. And I started smoking pot around 11. And uh, I realized that by doing that, I could stay numb. But my life really became about living lies. My drug use continued and I decided to join the Air Force. Uh, I, I joined just to escape my life and how it was. And before I went overseas, I took a 30-day leave of absence. And it was during this period of time in my life that I was introduced to the needle and crystal meth. Probably that decision there was one that really sent my life into spirals. And I traveled throughout Europe. Uh, I was still using but everything was in control at this point in my life. I met my first wife, Lori. I fell in love with her and we got married. Uh, she knew I was using and it didn't take long before she started using. My tour was up, I was honorably discharged. She still had a year and a half left, had orders for Mountain Home, Idaho, where I contacted someone in Idaho to see if there was speed there. And I was told no, and I made the choice of I was gonna walk away from my marriage for a, a bag of speed and a needle. And it didn't take long before I became very ill. I was suffering from hepatitis. And the doctor told me that if I didn't give up my lifestyle, um, I wouldn't be around long. So I had to give up the alcohol and the drugs, the hard drugs. I continued to smoke pot, went back to work, and uh, I maintained that way for probably a good year or so, and then I got slowly back into drinking and the harder drugs. I always uh, figured that my life would end due to accidental suicide, I would call it. Um, drinking, I would leave the bar and I couldn't even hardly walk, and I would drive well over 100 miles an hour, and 
Figured if I lost control, my life would be over. My personal life was totally a train wreck. My niece hooked me up on a blind date, and I was with Laura, my wife now. We hit it off, and uh, we got married. She had two wonderful boys. Uh, things were going good as far as, you know, the outward appearance, but inside, uh, you know, dealing with kids, uh, a home, a house, responsibility. Uh, I started using more and more. You know, I was dealing to keep supplying my own habit, and uh, she was getting more and more uh, concerned. Uh, one night, you know, we got into one argument, and uh, as far as my rage and my anger, it was kind of like a volcano that erupted. Uh, once it started spewing, I couldn't stop, I couldn't control it. And I began to smash things in our home. I don't know how long it lasted, it lasted quite a while. And we both left and I came home and I, for the first time I, I saw the fallout. And I think for the first time in my life I realized that I didn't like the monster that I had become. And at that point, I just said I'd be better off if, everybody would be better off if I was not in this world. And I remember going to upstairs to our bedroom and taking the pistol and sitting there on the floor. I decided I was going to end my life. And I couldn't do it. And I thought, what a failure I am. Later on that evening, I made some phone calls. And the next day, I was on my way to Bethany Rehabilitation Center for drugs and alcohol. And you know, it was wanting so bad to change, but not knowing if it was even possible. And during that time frame, uh, my wife Laura we had been talking to Pastor Jay Molino from Bridgewater. She surrendered her life to the Lord, and she informed me that maybe I should talk to Jay. And Jay came down to see me. I was surprised because, you know, he didn't even know me. I'm sure he knew my story, and I was thinking, why would someone want to come and talk to, especially a pastor, come and talk to someone like me? But he did, and he led me to the Lord. And I wasn't sure, not, not surrendering and not, not admitting that I was a sinner and that I needed help. I knew that. What I struggled with was just turning my life over to the Lord, you know, to surrender. And he shared the verse in Revelations about, here I stand knocking at your door. If anyone opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him. And I was hesitant to just throw the door open. And Jay said, if you only open it just a little bit, that's all you need. And I was okay with that. Just open it a little bit because I was so unsure. And so when I left the rehab, I came to Bridgewater because I felt I owed Jay that much. And uh, when I walked through the door, him and his wife stood there. He just, uh, he just grabbed a hold of me and gave me a bear hug. I think my feet came up off the floor. And as I w walked in, the warm and friendly greeting from the people of the church just blew me away. Never expected that.
But I still had a lot of struggles in my life. I still struggle with anger, still struggle with dealing with my feelings. And I just figured that's the way it's always going to be. I'm never going to get rid of my anger. And uh, over time, you know, going through Celebrate Recovery, Celebrate Recovery actually put me on the road to of healing. Scripture says that if I'm not willing to forgive, God won't forgive me. The unforgiveness, the bitterness and the anger inside of me was really destroying everything around me. And I'll be honest, I didn't want to forgive. I had no desire to forgive the man who abused me. But as I spent time in recovery, I began to realize that I was no better off than the people that abused me. I was no different. People that I had hurt, I didn't care how bad I, badly I hurt them, how it was going to impact them, how it may have altered their lives. I didn't care. Christ took everything, all my sin, and took it to the cross. He showered me with his grace, his love, and his mercy. And for me to be like him, I had to do the same. And I truly did forgive the man who abused me. And it was like a ton of a weight lifted off my shoulders. As I began to um, do these things, healing started to, to happen more and more. Anger started to dissolve more and more. I no longer want to be in control. I still find myself trying to take control at times. And I can say now that I'm more committed, more in love with my wife now than the day we got married. Been some struggles, but stayed committed in our, in our love and our relationship with the Lord. And uh, finally put all my past behind me to deal with my past, to accept my past. And now I'm looking forward to uh, what God has in store for me now.